0: Nowhere in South America are North American movies more a part of daily life than in Montevideo.
1: Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. At the Movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away. I've seen Star Wars about a dozen times. I've
0: seen Star Wars times. Seventeen times. Star Wars? Uh,
1: 22 times. Twenty-four.
0: Forty times and it was great each time.
1: And in
0: fifty-five. About fifty-seven times. fois.
1: You can never get too much of Star Wars, I... I've seen the first Star Wars 153 times. All together, we have seen Star Wars
0: 324 times. We've been here for six days and it's great!
1: Hello there. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies episode 18. My name is Stephen Danley and this installment begins in the South American country of Uruguay. Where Star Wars, or rather, La Guerra de las Galaxias, arrived in January of 1978. In the January 10th edition of the nationwide newspaper El País, noted film critic and journalist Roberto Andreon shared his approval of Star Wars, naming it as only one of a couple of newly released titles that were, quote, rescued from mediocrity, the other being the Peter Yates adaptation of Peter Benchley's scuba diving Bermuda Triangle treasure hunt The Deep, or even better in Uruguay, Abismo. Andreon wrote that these films, well, Star Wars certainly, sorry Abismo, signified that while the old Hollywood was dead, quote, The Dream Factory has not closed. My guest Carlos Perón's story starts as a youngster who was introduced to that fleeting dream of Star Wars in the capital city of Montevideo. Though Carlos wasn't certain of it, there's a good chance that he saw the original film at what was once the Cine Princess on Avenida Rivera in the busy downtown commercial district of Cordon. The Princess was one of many thriving movie theaters in the capital, which was characterized as having a cinema in just about every neighborhood during its golden age. It seems to have started showing movies in 1946, and had been converted from a single-screen house with just over a thousand seats to a two-screen venue when Star Wars played there in 1978. A historic photo of the marquee actually plays perfectly into Andreon's dream analogy, as the Walter Matthau horse-racing flick Shadow is advertised on the left with its local title, and Busca de un Sueño, or In Search of a Dream, with La Guerra de las Galaxias displayed on the right. Dream found! Though it appears it stays as a cinema ended in 1991, the building in its distinctive arch-window facade is still standing and operating as a church today. That Star Wars dream would resurface and permanently cement itself after Carlos and his family emigrated to New York ahead of the theatrical release of The Empire Strikes Back. The specific Manhattan theater where he saw Empire didn't come up, but the spot where he witnessed Return of the Jedi was a neighborhood cinema in Queens that endured many lives over the decades, outlasting other nearby theaters of similar vintage. Until just a few years ago, if you hopped off the 7 train above Roosevelt Avenue and walked down 82nd Street in the heart of Jackson Heights, you'd come across the sensibly named Jackson Theater. What began as a glamorous Italian Renaissance-style, 1500-seat, single-screen theater in December 1924, the Jackson would change hands, close, open, and close its stores time and again until shutting down for good and sadly being demolished in 2017. Somewhere along the way, the upper section of the house was split to create two smaller screens, with the lower large auditorium and its classic decor remaining mostly the same. On May 25th, 1983, Return of the Jedi opened in Theater number 2, which was presumably the main house, flanked by the Dennis Quaid country-singing boxer movie Tough Enough, which was advertised as, quote, Rocky Without Rules, uh, in Theater 1, and Italian gore master Lucio Fulci's The Gates of Hell in Theater 3. Jedi would enjoy a 15-week run of the Jackson that summer as other titles came and went. Despite all of its ups and downs, the Jackson seems to be a theater that was well-loved by its community. Carlos was one of those patrons that got to enjoy it. With that, let's hit the feature presentation.
0: I was born in Uruguay, which is uh, in South America, uh, basically as south as you can go. Um, If you go below Brazil and right next to Argentina, that's where Uruguay is. We uh, speak Spanish there as opposed to uh, Portuguese, which is Brazil. But Uruguay is always kind of thought of as as, um, Argentina's little brother almost. It's like Argentina is huge and Uruguay is tiny, Uh, but we're very much alike uh, however, we can kind of tell each other's accents, uh, which is one of the things that was, it's, a, it's a little bit of a difference. When I was growing up in Uruguay, one of the things that, at least during my early years, uh, was very different is that as far as mass media and that sort of thing, we always seem to be like 10 years behind what was happening here. So, for example, I grew up with black and white television. Um, I grew up with um, if you want to see something in color, you go to, that's what the movies are for. Not until like 1983, 84, I would say that in Uruguay, they started getting color television in terms of it being around for everybody. You know, the, the general population, we were always a little behind. Uh, something as simple as a telephone. I remember uh, we didn't have a telephone. If we wanted to make a phone call, we would go to our neighbor's apartment who had a telephone. Uh, That was a little expensive to own a telephone or to even get on a waiting list to have a phone installed. So that's it it almost felt like being uh, in a time machine. You're always a little bit behind. Um, So, again, early on, for me, going to the movies was a big deal. Um, I went uh, uh, with my mom. I went with my dad. uh, I went with some friends I remember when I was young. And even before Star Wars, I do have memories – Of, for example, seeing some of like uh, Ray Harryhausen films, which is something that, boom, automatically kind of stuck with me in terms of how do they make those effects? That's like incredible. I mean, again, you talk about repeats, uh, reruns of earlier films or even something like um, closer to in the 70s to like Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, which at the time was pretty modern stop motion. I was just completely blown away by that sort of thing. But as far as Star Wars goes, um, I don't remember any heads up about Star Wars. Again, at the time, I'm, let's see, I'm about seven years old. It's probably the end of 1977, because we didn't get it until January of 78. So there was no heads up about it in terms of media-wise, obviously no internet, I didn't have any magazines or any kind of news shows or anything like that uh, that could give me a heads up of, of genre material. That like right now we're so connected that you know we know everything now. But back then, zero clue whatsoever. Just like in other countries, you know, it took a while for Star Wars to reach uh, other countries. So you figure Uruguay got it about six months later. I, I think Asia got it even later than that. It, I think it went to Europe first, and then it kind of made worked its way you know through the world. And you figure by then some of these countries would have such a heads up because they know how this movie would have exploded already in in the States, that they're kind of welcoming it with open arms and, you know, with big fanfare. But I don't remember much of a big deal of it coming, but it was enough as opposed to me going to my local movie theater to, like I said, watch some of those Ray Harryhausen or some Disney film or something um, that my dad knew about it. And he, he heard about it and it wasn't playing in my local theater. We, my dad took me to what would be considered the equivalent of like, um, uh, it's called El Centro, which means the city, which, which is kind of like the difference between if you're in New York, if you live in Queens, and then you decide to go to Manhattan for a, for a big event, that's kind of, kind of what it was. It was kind of like, let's go to the extra special part of town where, you know, where, the, where all the fun happens, because that's where the movie theaters are playing Star Wars. And it's like, oh, okay. All right. So you know, uh, I remember going, again, with my dad. I really don't remember much about the crowds of, of what was happening there, but I do have a very typical reaction and memory from a lot of people, and that is the opening sequence. Uh, I, I swear I could, I could, and again I don't know if I'm imagining this or I maybe I've heard it enough times from other people, but I do have this uh, image of hanging, you know, holding on to the uh, to the armrests in the opening sequence when the Star Destroyer goes over your head. Uh, that whole rumbling of the theater. The other thing about, um, the particular theaters that I'm talking about is that there were no multiplexes back then. You're talking about one screen holding anywhere from one to 2000 seats. So these are gigantic, you know, auditoriums and to see star Wars in that big of a, of an arena it was something else. Um. I would say also like the cantina sequence, that's something that kind of stuck to my head. And I, again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think this was all um, captioned. Uh, it wasn't dubbed at the time. The first initial uh, wave, I had to read, and as again, as an eight-year-old, seven, eight-year-old, I don't know how much of it I could read that fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what city was this in? Do you happen to know what the name of that
0: theater was? Well, the city was definitely Montevideo, which is the capital. Uh, the theater might have been the Princess, which is uh, the theater that I found a picture on the internet of, with a, with an actual uh, uh, post Star Wars poster on the uh, uh, outside. But they were, I'm sure there were at least three theaters. But I think it was Princess, the name of the theater.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm always curious how international audiences were exposed to Star Wars and the the language difference is a huge thing having to read those subtitles with everything else going on on screen.
0: Yeah. And again, for a kid, it's a little extra work. I I mean, I I don't remember, again, if I could read that fast. I don't know how much of it. I I mean, the visuals along and the sound completely blew me away. So uh, even if I didn't understand the story, I knew there was something special going on here that kind of, you know, seared into my brain. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And before you moved to the States, were there other signs of Star Wars having an
0: influence in Uruguay? Not that I can remember. Um, In 1978, uh, a little later in the year, um, again, there was no toys. Um, The Star Wars toys, uh, I think they hit Brazil, they hit Argentina, as far as South America goes, obviously Mexico further up north, but they never entered Uruguay. Uh, There was no uh stream of merchandisable material or anything that kind of keeps the thing alive the way it, it did here and it does here you know or, or actually worldwide to this day it was almost kind of like a here it is it's wonderful now let's move on to the next thing uh if you think of a movie like uh like these days something like an, a, an amazing movie like the uh, like the godfather or or citizen kane or whatever you know one of the classics They're classics upon themselves, but you don't have this ongoing, you know, uh, army of people reminding you of how fantastic it is every day. They were kind of like one hits and then you move on to something else. And that's the problem that we had in Uruguay was when Star Wars hit, it was great. People loved it, but then they just moved on to the next thing.
1: So at what point did you move to the US and what was that like being so young with the cultural difference and how did the movie going experience change for you when you got to the States?
0: Well, later that same year, in 78, we came to the States to visit my grandparents and my uncle who were already living here. This is all in New York I'm talking about. They were all in New York. I currently, I'm in Florida. I went from New York to New Jersey to Florida, which is where I am now. Uh, So we came to visit them. And I couldn't tell you if I even remember Star Wars at the time because it wasn't really on my brain. It was just, to me, the fact that I'm visiting another country, going on a plane ride for the first time in my life was just something, you know, incredible Um, coming into my grandparents' house and watching color television, put on the TV. And all of a sudden there's like Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica rerun, you know, all kinds of stuff in color that was, it was like, uh, it was like crack. (laughs) It was like, oh my God, this stuff is amazing. And at one point I remember that my mom, I think, took me to the toy store. Now, again, my idea of a toy store back then was a small kind of place where they had a couple toys on the wall, you know, nothing crazy. Most of the toys I remember in Uruguay were usually European toys. You had your playmobiles, you had your, your, uh, like erector sets, I think all made out of metal that you would put screws through them to create stuff. I don't remember much American stuff, maybe some GI Joes, but like the large GI Joes, the foot long GI Joe, the original GI Joe stuff. Um, so, I stepped into a toy store here in the States. Now, granted, it wasn't a Toys R Us or even something called Child's World at the time that was kind of big in in New York, but we still didn't have those in the local area of Queens, which is Jackson Heights, where I I was visiting. It was a local store. However, it was still kind of like the size of a small supermarket, which to me was 10 times bigger than I've ever seen as far as toy store goes. And there's aisles of different kinds of toys, which is, again, I'm not used to seeing this. You have uh, models, you know, uh, plastic models, uh, RPG stuff. You know, there's a girl section. There's a boy section. There's a sports section. So I'm I'm walking through the boy section, and all of a sudden, you know, amongst the clutter of superheroes that I'm not familiar with, Spider-Man, Hulk, whatever, and then there's this whole thing with these characters I'm I'm looking at it and I'm like wait a minute this this stuff looks familiar this this looks like that movie I saw earlier this year that was incredible how is it that they have so much stuff and in that initial visit uh that initial trip I was able to buy almost I believe the the first 12 figures the first original 12 Kenner figures and uh, at the time again because I'm traveling I'm not buying any play sets or ships or anything big it's got to be something i can kind of carry with me (laughs) in a plane to head back home um and we did i took i took my figures home and and i showed them to my friends here uh, there in uruguay and again they were like they, they have never seen like this particular quality of action figures before and they had seen the movie too but this is the first time that they're exposed to additional material having to do with a movie The only other time I remember a movie might have had some additional material is Saturday Night Fever. The fact that the soundtrack was so popular that people were buying that soundtrack like crazy. Granted, obviously, there's no merchandisable other things for Saturday Night Fever. But for Star Wars, again, it was just a dry desert. And when I'm showing this to my friends, they're like freaking out. They can't understand how good these things are. I do remember also at one point I couldn't, I I lost a figure. I I think it was C-3PO. And I had a feeling that one of my so-called friends might have kept it while I was visiting his house. And my mom actually called his mom and said, hey, my son is missing this little golden little thing, action figure looking guy. And his mom got it back for me. (laughs) So it was it was that rare that, again, nobody had seen this before. Uh, So that was my first exposure to merchandise for Star Wars that kind of brought it back to me in terms of, oh, my God, I got to. I can't believe this exists. Then the following year, in seventy nine, that's when my family, my, my you know my, my parents, my direct family decided, okay, that's it. We're gonna go to Europe. we're gonna go live uh, in the states now. we're going we're gonna sell everything and move out there. So I actually got rid of all of my toys. Every single toy I owned before stayed behind, uh, because it's basically you're bringing with you whatever fits on suitcases. But, I did bring with me my action figures, my original figures. That was the only thing I brought from Uruguay, which ironically came from here in the first place, made the return trip back with me uh, to here. And when we got here, which was, I think, December or maybe November of 79, that's it. We were here to stay. And I started, I think, fourth grade here. Uh, Not a word of English. It took me a good two years, I think, to to learn the language Mm -hmm. enough to be able to you know, kind of understand everything that's going on. Granted, television completely immerses you in, in English, um, and I was a huge movie television person even back then. And uh, so I'm in fourth grade, and it's, now it's 1980. It's the, it probably spring of 1980, and this kid in the class has a a magazine that eventually uh, – what it is, is it's the, uh, the, the, the supplement magazine that they would sell at the theater for the Empire Strikes Back, that, that uh, collector's magazine, it's showing it to me. And I'm like, OK, here we go again. These things look familiar. I can't communicate with this kid. But I'm like, I know these characters. They look like my action figures. They look like that movie. I, and somehow it finally sunk in that there was something related to Star Wars that all of a sudden was here and I was going to have to jump on it somehow.
1: Wow. Okay. So what are your memories of, of first seeing the Empire Strikes Back? Do you remember where that was
0: and how you reacted to it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the first thing other than that, seeing the magazine was going back to that toy store, that, that Toy City, it was called Toy City, and seeing the figures before the movie, I believe, if I remember right. And it's one of those things where you don't know what the story is yet. You don't know the plot of the film yet. But you're trying to figure out from the pictures on the action figures what it's all about. You see characters that look like other characters, but they're wearing like snow clothes. And it's like, wait a minute. Okay, so this is snow. All right. So there's got to be some weird snow things going on. And, and then there's some other characters that are like in this very uh royal looking city or some nice very clean environment so you're trying to kind of make sense of it all and uh i am pretty sure i probably started grabbing action figures earlier not knowing exactly what role they played in the film and obviously not getting them all in one shot you know i probably get maybe one or two here and then beg for one or two there Uh, but by the time we actually saw it I do have a memory of seeing, well, I I do remember some commercials. I do remember, at least in this point, things are, you know, again, the the merchandising, the marketing arm of Star Wars is hitting me right in the face. Um, You see the commercials, you start to see the posters, the magazines, the toys, all that stuff is starting to permeate. And uh, I do remember uh, this time with my mom, uh, she took me to, uh, to the movie theater. And for some reason, I think we actually went to Manhattan because... I don't think at this point I understood exactly how theaters worked in terms of that there were local theaters. I like you didn't have to go to the city, but for whatever reason, we went to the city, we went to Manhattan and I took with me a cassette recorder. Cause I'm like, I need to have this thing with me all the time. And I actually recorded Empire Strikes Back on a cassette in my, in my, uh, in a bag. <laughs> Uh, on three audio cassettes that were each like an hour, or so you know at a half hour mark, you have to <laughs> flip the cassette, and I had those for a long time. I think I only have one of those left, and I remember ever whenever I had listened to them, I could hear my mom saying well who's this who's this green guy, this little green well, this guy, so I have to I would have to explain to her or translate to her what these characters are again, I can barely speak any English to begin with, so I'm trying to make sense of this because again no no uh, no subtitles this time. <laughs> But it was, it was a very special experience uh, of having to, uh, to, to go through it in, in that manner. And I also did the same thing when I watched the, uh, the making of Empire on TV or the making of Raiders. I, don't, I didn't have a VCR back then. I didn't get one until I was like 14, I think, or something. So I would just record them on audio and then just listen to them on my own. But uh, yeah, Empire was, uh, Empire was very memorable because of that. I remember those cassettes. Oh, that's amazing. Have you tried playing back the one that you still have? I, I have and and yeah I can hear it's very bo- it's a very booming kind of sound and uh and every now and then you know questions back and forth my mom and I and I'm trying to kind of keep her quiet cuz I'm like I'm not recording but I'm but I'm trying to explain to her yeah that that guy yes that's his that's his that's the boyfriend that, no that's not the boyfriend he's somewhere else he's a different guy <laughs> and stuff like that
1: We don't need to scum. a scum. No, desert. sir. I was ready to change this. No, no. No, 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 so, no, 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 There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods
0: necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegration. As you wish. Lord Vader! My Lord, wake up! Oh, thank goodness, we're coming out of the asteroid field.
1: Let's get out of here, there's a light Great. Uh, in terms of the movie itself and the story, do you remember your initial reactions to the big reveals and the cliffhanging nature of The Empire Strikes Back?
0: I, I was very happy with the reveal, especially the fact that I didn't know it ahead of time. I, at that point, I wasn't, I don't know if anybody could have been spoiled in a mass manner. Again, no internet. Uh, I know that uh, rumor is that uh, Prowse was very loose with his interviews in terms of what would happen, but I don't remember hearing anything about it. The the, uh, the I am your Father reveal was totally you know there for me and i I enjoyed it. it was it was right there.
1: yeah, you, you can't beat that so in those years between Empire and Jedi, what are your recollections of that period and the buildup to that third movie?
0: Well, again, the longer I'm here, the more television and movie crazy that I am. Uh, with Empire, the fact that there was such a big sequence with stop motion, that blew me away. Again, that brought me back to my Ray Harryhausen movie days. Uh, the following year, I think we had Clash of the Titans, which, oh my God, more Ray Harryhausen, and it's fantastic, and I love it. And and then 1982 hits, which is probably the, the best year of genre movies ever. Everything conceivable hits in one year from star trek 2 to blade runner to, to the thing you name it it's all hitting in in and, and star wars now has some serious competition as far as my attention goes and my interest you know i'm going in 10 different directions but star wars again through its merchandising and marketing is waving this big big flag at me uh i'm continuing with the toys like crazy i'm i'm, I'm buying playsets. i'm buying ships you know i'm I'm getting deep deep <laughs> into Star Wars, but at this point, now you know, I also have the fan club. you know, I become a member of the Star Wars fan Club, so you have another uh, stream of of news coming. There's this thing called Revenge of the Jedi. Oh wait, hey Jedi, I'm all for that. Let's do it. And you start to get the little pictures and all that stuff starts to build up. Um, so i'm I'm you know, I'm chugging along and waiting for, for Revenge of the Jedi. I do remember the, the local theater it was the Jackson, I think it was called, in Jackson Heights, uh, where they had the Struzen poster out there, uh, the Revenge of the Jedi Struzen poster, and uh, reminding everybody this thing is coming. And, and when it finally came, I remember that was the only time I was ever um, with, with my parents' approval to skip school so I could be there on the first day of the opening uh, of now return of the jedi. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just good parenting
1: when you get to skip school for Star Wars. Uh, so which theater was this? Was this the Jackson where you saw
0: Jedi? Yeah, this was called this one was called the Jackson. Even here, even in the states, by the time I got here uh, there, there weren't that many, uh, theaters that had multiple screens. It was still a pretty big screen. I remember it was pretty nice and big. I was out there probably two, three hours before the movie came, uh, came out, uh, just like before, um, uh, the action figures were out there first. I'm trying to make heads and tails of the storyline by trying to look at these pictures and the action figures. The greens of of the uh, of Endor were like okay. There's a green uh, motif going on here, and there's a lot of red also going on here. You know, the Royal Guard and stuff like that, and Luke and Black. So you're trying to, you know, to me all these films have a certain color palette, and uh, you know, with with Empire you had the the blues and the and the and the uh, the orange of of Bespin of the carbon freezing chamber, but in Jedi. I noticed there was green and there was red and there was black, and, and oh my God, is he going to turn? What's going to happen? And the year before, I believe there was a re-release, of every time there was a re-release I was there for it. Uh, there was a re-release of Star Wars, and uh, I, do, I do still own that poster. It had this banner, this red banner saying, this time you can watch a quick preview of Revenge of the Jedi. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The next chapter in the Star Wars saga. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker. Han Solo. Princess Leia. Lando Calrissian. Chewbacca. C-3PO and R2-D2. And Darth Vader. of the jedi coming next summer to a theater in your galaxy and you got to see that that trailer for the first time that oh my god it's like again your head would explode when they're your characters they're all back and and this is back when you probably know this when um luke's lightsaber was still blue they hadn't changed the color yet to green And apparently when they changed the color was because they realized blue lightsaber against a blue sky looks awful. So I remember that. I'm like, oh, he's got his blue lightsaber. That's great. And then obviously they changed it to green. But the biggest problem I had with Revenge of the Jedi, with Return of the Jedi, is that um, in school uh they we would order books and we would order the scholastic books and every time the order came all of a sudden there's a return of the jedi i gotta get return of the jedi i got that book a week before the movie came out and i read the whole book so i got the whole story ahead of time (laughs) so i spoiled myself in terms of the sister twist and what actually happens at the end and all that stuff but still watching it it was amazing I sat through the whole movie and I could barely hear the movie because everybody was cheering and laughing and clapping so much um, that I remember when the movie ended, I stayed. Most people left. Some people stayed and we watched it again because at that point they weren't clearing the theater. They were like, "Okay, whoever wants to stay can stay. We don't care. Just keep going. Keep going. So I remember I saw it twice in a row. Um, because, uh, and, and it was the same reaction with the second crew. It was everybody's cheering and screaming and everything.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So at that point, were you able to finagle multiple viewings of the other films, or was it usually more of a special occasion?
0: Well, by that time, home video is starting to trickle in a little bit. I had, I think, at that time already started dabbling with a film camera and an eight millimeter projector. And I remember my dad got me these small eight millimeter Super Eight sound uh, versions of Star Wars and Empire. So at home, now again, these are four hundred meter reels, I think. So they're only like fifteen minutes of pop. It's not the whole movie. It's they called it selected scenes, and you can buy them for for many popular movies. So I could watch, you know. A little tiny bit of Star Wars or a little tiny bit of Empire. So that was one way of doing it. Uh, home video is also kicking in around this time, uh, mid-80s. So first you end up with the, the bootleg versions of Star Wars or Empire or Jedi, which look like garbage. But then you end up with the official releases. I think actually through the fan club is where I got my first – I think it might have been Star Wars or Return one of – One of the films was through the fan club. Uh, and obviously, once you have it at home, forget it. You're you're done. It's over. You just you're just watching these things nonstop. But even before that, you could also have uh, the records, the story on on record. So that's another way of reliving the movie. You're you look at your tops cards while you're watching <laughs> while you're listening to your record, or eventually watching your your uh, your uh, your VHS tapes.
1: Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. My, my mom had recently found the original set that I wore out in the late 80s. And they're absolutely beat up. But I was so pleased that they had survived. And so- those are gold
0: now because those are the, uh, the original cut or as close to the original cut as you can get. So it's like, it's good to have those, you know, just keep them in the back in, in your pocket just in case, because I don't know if they'll ever, you know, do them right. But uh, at least it's something.
1: Yeah, definitely, though. I don't know if these guys will ever play again. (laughs) So now that we've gone through the trilogy, a broader question is, how has Star Wars maintained an influence on your life? And what part did those early movie-going memories play in that?
0: Well, I imagine most of it has to do with me living here. Uh, Like I said before, I don't know if Watching these films in Uruguay, if I were to watch all three of them, if I would have stayed in Uruguay, if it would have had the same impact on me. I don't think without the merchandising and the marketing, you can sustain that, that strength or that, that, that much of an interest. You need to have that lifeline, you know, continuing uh, to supplement. So if the movies go away, you have a TV show. If the TV show goes away, you have some books, you have something. There's always something kind of bringing you back into that. I don't think that would have happened there. Um, Star Wars kept me going here, I would say until 85 ish, 86, when the, when the action figures started to slow down, um, that's when I kind of started dropping out, uh, interest wise, I had James Cameron to worry about with, you know, alien, the Terminator, you name it. I had other interests. Star Trek was huge for me also. So other interests kind of took over that. When I remember, I actually do remember when I when I walked out of Return of the Jedi. Again, I'm 13 years old, and I have memories of having this depression of Oh my God, it's over now. What the hell do I do with myself? Not only in terms of entertainment, but Oh my God, I'm only 13 years old. I missed out on being able to work on these films to be able to participate in this. So this it was a weird kind of moment, and that. I guess, helped in kind of getting myself away from it a little bit at a time. And, and like I said, jumping into other areas that also were, were, were very important to me. Um, by 85, I, 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 don't, I never got the original last wave of figures. The last 17, the, uh, the Power of the Force ones, they were very hard to find. Uh, The toy store that I used to go to had closed already. Um, There were no other big toy stores. And and the places in the city, in Manhattan, where they did have them, it was just too difficult to get to for me, for a 13-year-old. So, um, you know, ironically, over the last 10 years, I've been completing my collection. But, yeah, uh, the the next big Star Wars moment for me was in 87. For the 10th anniversary, I went to California, uh, which is... uh, as a matter of fact, the, the podcast that I do, I did a whole episode on that where they had the 10th anniversary and Lucas was there, which is the, the unofficial, if you want to call it the, the first or the pre-celebration, uh, I was there for that and I got to see Lucas speak in an auditorium uh, where they had uh, you know, they had all the guests, they had um, Irvin Kirshner was there and that's when they took that famous uh, picture of uh, Gene Roddenberry shaking hands with George Lucas Congratulating him on the 10th anniversary. I think Dan Manson took that picture. So that was again another one of these Star Wars moments. There's no movie, but hey, at least there's a, a, a birthday for Star Wars to go
1: around. That's so cool that you got to attend that event. I, I haven't really heard from many that did so how did you hear about that convention and how did you make your way out to California?
0: Well, uh, Starlog magazine I don't know if you, I don't know if it's been, if it was around or if it kind of went away when you were around, but to me Starlog was a lifeline to all genre material. Um, by the time we hit nineteen eighty one or nineteen eighty, I started subscribing and getting every single one. I actually remember the cover of the of the magazine said Boba Fett unmasked. I'm like, oh my God, they took off the who's a who's the character under Boba Fett? No, it's the actor, not the character. You know, again, for for an 11 year old, they, they hooked me. That's how they hooked me into that magazine. And uh, a couple of years later, they started advertising for conventions. That's one of the things they do. And I had never attended a convention before. this was my first time. And it is very unusual for me to be able to go from New York to LA. I mean, that's not in me, that's, that's, that wasn't in me back then, that is not in me today. But somehow we made it happen. My mom had a connection where she worked that got us uh, backstage tours of Paramount Studios, the Next Generation set that was being put together, which was about to premiere in a couple of months later. We got to tour Introvision, a special effects house. We got to tour Boss Films, another special effects house uh, owned by Richard Endland from, from Star Wars. And then on top of that, you have the Star Wars convention, which was, I think, three days, Memorial Day weekend of 77, where, again, you... You got to attend all these panels of special effects guys and and meet the actors and and the dealer room. And then the big event was George Lucas himself. I still cannot make heads or tails how we managed to do that because, again, it's not in me to do something that crazy. (laughs) But after that, when we came back to New York, I was like, wait a minute. These conventions happen everywhere, even here in New York. So then I started going to all the conventions that were near me. Uh, so for years I, I went to a lot of conventions, and that's how that I got started with that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's great. So you mentioned your podcast. Uh, what's it called? How did you get started? Uh, it'd be great to hear a bit about it.
0: Sure, sure i uh, the the podcast is called Geek Fest Rants, and it's all about genre uh, material, horror, science fiction, fantasy, conventions, toys, all that stuff that stays with the has stayed with me that a lot of my friends, you know, that's how we would connect. We would be con- continually talking about that kind of stuff while we were in, in college or high school or whatever. We decided about 10 years ago that, OK, college is over and we can't get together anymore and have these these movie conversations. So let's let's try doing them over the Internet. Or, or if we do have them, let's record them and we can have them out there as a show for people to listen to. So that's how the show kind of developed. 10 years later, well, almost actually 11 years. We already passed the 11-year mark. It's where we are right now. Uh, Now, there is a connection from from my show uh, to your show, to the show you do with uh, with Sky. When I went to Celebration uh, 5 in Orlando, uh, you guys did a panel on podcasting. It was you and the Swan crew. And at the time, I'm like, you know what? These guys... I like what they, you know, I like what they're putting out. I like what they're saying in terms of how not that difficult it is to do it. So I say, you know what, let's give it a shot and let's try it. And again, 11 years later, 450, I don't even know how many we're up to right now, shows later, um, it all kind of started from from your panel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been uh, much more
1: prolific (laughs) in the last 11 years, but... But no, it's, it's so great to hear uh, that was such a crazy time when we were just getting started with the Kive cast and, and Star Wars Action News, they'd been well established at that point. And we were just happy to be there, uh, despite not really knowing what we were doing. It is really nice to know that that impacted somebody and that we're both still doing it today. So yeah, that's awesome. well thank you so much carlos for taking the time and sharing your story i really appreciate it
0: thank you steven anytime
1: Thanks again to Carlos for taking part, and for his patience. He'd written into the show's email box offering to share his memories a while back, so I'm glad to finally have taken him up on the offer. On that note, if you have Star Wars movie-going stories of your own that you'd like to share, please do get in touch via email at starwars@themovies@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Full show notes and photos for this episode are up on the main site, StarWarsAtTheMovies.com and you can follow along with the podcast and everything else on the project's Facebook page and group on Instagram and Twitter. Lastly, special thanks to Michael Coate for providing dependable engagement information, as always. Until next time, stay well, stay safe, and remember, wherever you're watching
0: Star Wars, relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun.